nobody there It seems I'm all alone again Does anybody care? This planet's empty I see no signs of life Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive There are no people in the future There are no people There are no people in the future No people at all There are no people in the future Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future Let me try my people call Hey, everybody, everybody, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Friday, June 30th, 2023. We are officially at the end of June. Oof, man. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week, we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. Support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash RC Press for all the details. You can help out the show by heading to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And thank you to all the new subscribers. I would have been uh I'm like, woo, <laughs> we've had a bit of a flood of subscriptions. So I uh, appreciate all of you sharing the show and uh, kind of join us here on YouTube. Um, but also all you awesome podcast listeners out there, a bunch of new podcast subscriptions as well this week. That's fantastic. So make sure you like the stream for this show. Hit that notification bell. And, uh, you know, so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, of course, make sure to leave us that five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. Leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Things like this. Little things help other people find the show. It's fantastic. And it couldn't be more appropriate than right now. We cannot let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pack. Invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work. Beat back the power of big money. Get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on this week's show, whew, probably do a quickie today, folks. Uh, it is a big day um, because today is officially the uh, big... Uh, kind of opening day, if you will, of the Moms for Liberty Summit in Philadelphia. Um, there was a reception at the Museum of the American Revolution last night, which was met by lots of protests. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. They're not going to come to Philadelphia and think that they're just going to kind of like claim the Liberty Bell and spew their proto-fascism. Nope. Uh, people are going to meet them. They are meeting them in the streets. There's going to be protests all day long today, too, as well. Um, so that's the big news. Right now, um, Florida Governor DeSantis is currently spewing his uh, uh, kind of nastiness. Uh, I'll maybe bring you a little bit of that live stream. I'm just going to hear a little bit of what's happening, see what's happening inside um, that I'm actually think being interviewed right now as kind of one of these like sit downs after he gave the kind of inflammatory talk about how San Francisco is disgusting and there's people it's dirty and it's like garbage and people using crack on the streets right that's like, that's how the image that he's bringing. 
Um, lots of stuff happening to this week. Of course, Supreme Court decisions. We're still waiting for a, the next round of Supreme Court decisions to come down. Um, yesterday, the uh, the court effectively ended affirmative action in higher education. Um, the uh, they gave further protections to. Uh, for further protections to religious freedoms. Um, and today we're expecting uh, to get a notification or to get the ruling on some LGBTQ rights and student loans, whether or not Biden's student loan forgiveness program can go through. Um, so lots of stuff going on um, in the Supreme Court this week, of course. Um, what else we got? Oh, God, there's just so much that's going on this week. Uh, we saw also this week that in Pennsylvania, there was a vote by the state Senate that will uh, approving a voucher program um, to help further undermine public schools um, and apparently has got some support from Governor Shapiro. Um, so we've got some work to do there. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, good news was that we saw the independent state legislative theory from the Supreme Court. I'm sorry, I know I'm jumping around a little bit today. That one was um, kind of shot down, at least in the most immediate form, by the Supreme Court this week. Um, that's a huge, that's a big deal. Because if they had kind of sided with the crazies on the independent state legislative theory, that would have basically handed over um, our elections to the whims of Republican-dominated uh, state houses. Regardless of uh, who won the election, the state house could basically um, appoint the electors for the election. We saw another week of uh, nasty smoke where Chicago claimed the title of the air, the worst air quality in the world. Um, week, of course, Philadelphia was there uh, not too long ago. Bucks County was also there not too long ago. Um, this, of course, is all coming from the Canadian wildfires. Um, smoke is still in the air today. Um, we still can see the haze all around us yesterday. Crazy. What else we got? Oh, God. So many things. So many things. Uh, oh, yeah, Souderton Area School District. Did you see this? Souderton Area School District. Um, this kind of like went through a very strange kind of non-transparent process of appointing a new school board member. Nobody's quite sure about whether or not that actually followed the uh, uh, the kind of procedures or not. But the kind of uh, the guy's name who was appointed is by the name of William Formica or Formica. William Formica. And uh, a bunch of pictures from him on social media with the uh, 3% militia stickers and a whole bunch of kind of other extreme right-wing paraphernalia. Um, so that's who Souderton just appointed to the school board. Gotta love that. What else we got here? Um, I don't know, I'm just a little off today. Oh, yeah, we have New Jersey, New Jersey Attorney General today sues three school districts following outrage over transgender politics um, and a bunch of other stuff. We're just going to go through some things today. Um, I, I, and I'm, I'm just a little bit, uh, you know, off off my normal kind of whatever Friday schedule here. 
in part because uh, Moms for Liberty concert or con- concert <laughs> summit is going on. I was trying to find a little bit of follow that little bit of that. I'm kind of watching that as it's as we're kind of uh, as I'm doing the intro here, which is never a good idea. I'm trying to do way too many things at once. Anyways, uh, look, for you want more PA Progressive Talk, tune to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 5 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams. And subscribe to his podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Head on over to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. You can ch- got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist current streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check out the buckscountybeacon.podbean.com um, for the direct podcast, or you can get the signal wherever you get your podcast. For all you gamers out there, the Gaming, that's with two N's, the Gaming is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. you got to check them out. Check them out on the Facebook page or follow them on Twitter at, at TheGaming. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at TheGamingPA at gmail.com. And a special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at @songadayman. That's at @songadayman. two ends on Twitter. Now, if we want progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches, homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as 5 bucks a month. Simply go to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media and the movement and media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Well, everybody, like I said, it's a big day uh, today um, because it is the launch of the Moms for Liberty Joyful Warriors Summit. Um, that's pretty crazy. I thought maybe we'd just kind of like uh, take a look a little bit of what this is what Ron DeSantis right now is kind of giving this opening Friday breakfast general session. Um, he's being interviewed right now. I'm not sure what the question was, but he'll just kind of like see what what like Mr. DeSantis is saying. Important to understand, you know, you only get so many bites of the apple at this. You know, you know, we win. I think we'll win the House and Senate for sure. So you go in and you have an opportunity. You got to be ready on day one. And you're going to have six, nine months to start where things will be very uh, po- possible. Then they go on August recess. Then Congress comes blah, back. Blah, 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 blah. A little more. Then maybe a little <clears throat> bit in the midterm year. But then they start worrying about the midterms. Oh, no. So we'll come back to this because this is him just kind of talking the general kind of election stuff. But uh, in the opening remarks, he was, uh, yeah, as I said, he was, he was pulling the culture warrior stuff um, pretty strongly. So it's kind of interesting to see him uh, here perform in front of Moms for Liberty. You get a sense of what he's, uh, what he, how he plays to that kind of, you know, that closed audience. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what it is. Donald Trump, uh, to give you a sense of what the live stream schedule is going to be for today. Um, uh, for those of you who want to tune in on live stream, you got to kind of go in, go to the, go to the Moms for Liberty website. 
you got to register for the live stream. I know a lot of people are not feeling comfortable with registering for the live stream. That's fine. But on the agenda for today is uh, kind of a Ron DeSantis is speaking, uh, as I said, right now. Uh, you're going to have at 1125, there's going to be a general session with Nikki Haley. Uh, oh, wait, here, here, here comes a question. Let's, let's tune in. Soon, later today, we're going to hear from Manny Diaz. He's the commissioner of education. Has it oh, this would be good. You, as governor, to see a lot of different organizations kind of coming through the back door of schools, right? It, it kind of usurping the role of the school boards. Like Moms for Liberty. Indoctrination into schools. Like Moms for Liberty. by the level of the sexualization, right? I mean, you showed the oh video of God. the books. I, I heard when you saw one of the books, you were shocked. I think there are still people in America that don't realize this is really happening. So, you know, where do so we here go, you go from here where it seems like there's a real disconnect sometimes? No, I, I think educating the public on what's going on is important. We have not done that enough. We've, we've done it some in Florida. Buckle your seatbelts. We are going to be doing that across this country. So just be, be, be ready for that. And why you would be doing that is beyond me. But I think you're right. There's like there's groups out there that just maybe they have a relationship with the teacher union. So they hotwire this stuff straight in without any debate, without anything. These this is like essentially what Moms for Liberty is doing in school district right now. This is what's you know, crazy. We lean in against the textbooks. We just want education, right? If you're trying to uh, impose an agenda, we are going to reject like Moms for Liberty. So give it to us straight. And what happens is. Because we have such a big population, a lot of these companies have made changes that then make the book a normal school book. But this is going in all directions, and if you don't have kind of a united front against it, it is absolutely going to end up uh, winning the day. Very, very insidious, but I think part of it is conservatives have allowed the left, they just said, oh, education is for the left, and, and we don't really care about that. No, no, no. Um, I'm fighting on all this ground to do what's right. There you go. I mean, he's basically, this is the feeding the line. But notice one thing that was kind of interesting about what he just said there, right? He said, you know, we have big, a big enough population. When the we he's talking about there is Florida, right? Um, because, you know, th this is where the, the sophistication, if you will, or, you know, the kind of, you know, sophistication and power grab politics, right? Um, they know that. Florida, like this has been true with Texas too as well. Texas has, has long had, a, uh, had an, a disproportionate impact upon the content of textbooks because of the size of their population and the, uh, you know, longtime conservative push there to actually change the content of these textbooks, right? You know, so before you had these kind of current culture wars, you know, they've been doing this in Texas for quite some time. DeSantis is picking up on this, right? Um, this is all the pressure that's pushed back. We've seen this, right? Been pushing back against, you know, quote unquote, um, wokeness in textbooks, right? You know, I'm like, so for example, if there's a, you know, there's a little black kid that is sitting there um, with an illustration in a first grade uh, textbook, right? A first grade math textbook, kind of like doing a problem on the board, you know, DeSantis is like, oh, that's woke, right? It's woke because it's not, not a white person, right? I mean, you know, all the stuff that they're doing on this culture warrior stuff. But he knows that, you know, and it was successful. We saw this at the um, the controversy through the um, the AP, right, uh, for, or the uh, like the advanced placement um, testing, right, through the, um, was it, SAT runs that? Um, the advanced pl placement testing where they were the first time ever we're going to have uh, AP course for um, African-American studies. 
And, uh, you know, DeSantis is like, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. We're not going to accept that. We are not going to take this. We're not going to teach that in our schools. Right. And then push to, you know, basically change the, um, the kinds of questions and change the credits and change the way that that curriculum would be taught. And, you know, at first the AP basically said, oh, okay, Florida, we're going to do that because we want your business. Right. Because ultimately all that's all they care about. Right. All they care about is making money. They're making money off the educational system. The AP that is right. Yes. I know for parents where can want an AP want to, you know, advanced placement for, uh, for our kids so they can get credits in college and all that stuff. But for the AP, right. For what they do, right. For the AP exams, right. Um, those folks, they're just interested in making money. Right. It's a business like any other business. And so this is what, you know, they do uh, for the curriculum. So let's see what else he's got to say here. Uh, well, I'll wait for the next question to see what's going on. So, you know, this is the be you know the 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 first session of the opening session uh, with Santis, and they are kind of starting right on the culture wars. Now, of course, you would expect this with Moms for Liberty, but notice also the way that he's making his arguments. Right, he's making the arguments that the 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 agendas are anything that do not already conform to these far right Christian nationalist principles, right? Because look. If you've been listening to this show for any length of time at all, right? Uh, well, here, let's, here's the next question. Let's see what we've got. I want to thank you for joining us, talking about your family a little bit, answering some questions, getting to know our. Oh, never mind. This is like, this is, they're closing it out. Um, I'll see what happens next. So, <clears throat> the point being is that, you know, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know that what we've seen in our schools, what we've seen in our school boards has been exactly the thing that DeSantis was just describing there, except the people who are attempting to subvert education and push an agenda are these right-wing Christian nationalist people like these Moms for Liberty folks, right? I mean, we've seen that they've taken, like literally Moms for Liberty's book banning list, they've been taking their book banning list, right? And kind of using the talking points around sexualized content as a way of banning books, and have injected it directly into our school boards, right? We've seen, right, right now in the Penridge School District, of course, the beginning of Vermilion, right, uh, the hiring of Vermilion education, which comes from, Hill, you know, the Jordan Adams, right, was the, you know, guy who ran the curriculum for the charter schools, right, uh, does the kind of, you know, the, the American exceptionalism, the, you know, officially stamp of approval Christian nationalism curriculum, um, importing that into first charter schools, and now, um, getting hired in the first public school district in the country right here in Penridge, right? And of course, wanting to inject that curriculum in there and kind of take over kind of, you know, whatever, centuries worth of accumulated development of curriculum and just kind of like turn back the clock. So, you know, this is not, I mean, again, it's it, it's frustrating to have to constantly deal with these folks, but, you know, what, what's what's... It is important, I think, to pay attention to what they're saying, because essentially what they're doing is they're projecting, right? I mean, everything that they say that the left is doing is essentially what they're doing. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, there's some people want to kind of psychologize that or something like this. They want to basically say, oh, because they're, I don't know, they've got this warp view and they're trying to, you know, they're unable to, you know, they're projecting their own, I don't know, whatever. But I do think... Right. I do think that a lot of them, 
right? And I don't necessarily mean DeSantis. I think, well, DeSantis might be a true believer, and that's what makes him dangerous. But I mean, a lot of those folks on the right is basically what they're doing is that, you know, they're they're projecting. I, I do, well, let's see. For the true believers first, I do think that they believe, right, in this narrative, right? The You know, the, the everyday people are attending the Moms for, for Liberty um, um, Summit here in Philadelphia. Not the funders, not the professional politicians, and well, some of those, but basically what they're doing is that they are, they believe, like those, you know, the true believers, they believe that the left is injecting all of this stuff, right? Um, and, you know, maybe it's because they haven't been paying attention to what's going on in schools. Maybe it's because all they, the only reference point they have is for when they were in grade school, right, and what they were taught back then. Uh, but, of course, they've been steeped in right-wing media for the longest time, which has been pushing this stuff about sexualization of kids and all this other kind of stuff, right? Meanwhile, we see, you know, again, this is just like, I mean, how many, like, hundreds and hundreds of cla- of courses do we have or of cases do we have like this but right now we see these kind of like these investigations that are going into um like you know sexual abuse cases and things like this now we see find out that Jim Jordan right uh Jim Jordan once again where where a spotlight is being brought back to him right about his role as an assistant coach or whoever run the wrestling program out there in Ohio or, or Illinois, <laughs> and basically his role in basically not reporting sexual abuse, right? And actually allowing it to go on. And now we have one of the victims um, <clears throat> who uh, who is, you know, has been kind of coming out about Jim Jordan, is that uh, one of the victims said, yeah, yeah, Jim Jordan basically, you know, when he found his name was coming up and about his role of, in kind of covering up sexual abuse um, and wrestlers in Ohio, that uh, he basically called them crying, said, please don't, you're going to ruin my career. Please don't, you're going to ruin my career if you tell all these people these things, right? Um, I, I, and yet he's ahead of the, you know, what, the Judiciary Committee or, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, yeah, the Judiciary Committee and the what's the the uh, the the, uh, the Committee for the Weaponization of the Federal Government, or something like this, right? Some kind of crazy things like this, but that's Jim Jordan, right? And it, you know, we go Denny Haskert, right? Uh, and, you know, we would go let's we go down down the list of these kind of far right Republicans who have themselves been directly implicated in you know sexual abuse of kids, and they're the ones who are out there kind of saying that it's the left, it's the left, it's the left. Right. They're the ones who are kind of out there doing this over and over again. Right. And you know, I'm not saying every Republican is doing that, but I'm saying these people who are the loudest about this are very often the ones that are, who are kind of involved with it. You know, it's, it's the weirdest thing. And, you know, it's also the thing where because they want to inject their own agenda, they assume that the other side is doing the same. Like, I, I firmly believe that there's a lot of these true believers. This is the point that I wanted to get to. There's a lot of the true believers about this, you know, the Moms for Liberty agenda, right, who, because they want public schools to teach nothing but what they want, right, they do not want their children to be taught things that are going to cause problems for them at home. In other words, that are going to maybe introduce some doubt. Um, or introduce some questions for their kids to critically assess what their parents are teaching them, right? 
So if their parents are teaching them that kind of like, you know, black people are condemned by God, right? That, that, you know, uh, same sex marriage is a sin and that, and that America is kind of going down, you know, has made a deal with the devil or whatever the hell it might be. And then they go to school and in school, right? Kids learn about the long histories of struggles, right? Like they learn the truth about what happened in slavery and the civil rights movement and so on. And under, have a different narrative, right? Different kind of development of history. And then they come back and kind of like say, hey, to their parents, hey, wait a minute, you know, that's not what you said. That's not what happened. And then they don't want, you know, they want, they don't want that. So they believe that they have to stop that in schools. And because they are so keen on having their agenda taught in schools, they assume that there's a cabal on the left that's doing the same thing, right? And what's crazy is that, you know, if for those of, those of us who work in education, like, you know that the development of curriculum, it's kind of like science, right? But the development of curriculum, development of programs, the development of new knowledges, the changes of textbooks and all this other kind of stuff, it's a slow moving process, right? It's like science. It's like science is you, you, you test stuff and then you kind of like look at the results and then you kind of like think about it some more and it has to be replicated. We're developing new classes or, you know, your new kind of academic approaches to things or new areas of history, right? There's been long discussions about that. But, you know, most of those discussions happen outside the public eye, right? And so, you know, and, you know, look, we don't have a media infrastructure in this country that really cares, right, about that. They're, I mean, if you just turn on MSNBC just for any length of time and, like, I mean, I, I can't, you know, you've heard me say this before. I could, I could barely listen to anything on MSNBC anymore because, like, you know, there's, like, amazing things that are happening right now, really detrimental things that are happening and, and, and all sorts of stuff that's happening here. And then you turn on MSCC and it's like, well, Trump said, and it's like, it's literally, it's nonstop kind of like, as if like Trump is the only thing to do. And you know, you know, my take on this for the longest time has the, the whole argument about Trump bad man is the only political position you have on the left is a, is a, is a, is a deeply flawed and problematic approach to things. And when you have an entire network, the only network on cable news that is kind of even purports to even try to include, say, um, kind of kind of left of center positions on it, if all you can talk about is Trump and the kind of the minutia of the legal cases around Trump, that's a problem. But I digress. So. So, yeah, so listening to people like DeSantis talk about it, you get a window into what they're actually doing. Right. And, you know, and, and what's what's remarkable about it, where we are now is they're completely open about what their uh, what their agenda is. The only the difference is that the little little kind of twist that they always put in there, the kind of spin that they give their agenda is that they they're kind of they call them. They again, they victimize themselves. Right. We have been victimized by these people. So therefore, we need to put a stop to it and fight back. Right. So it's this heroic narrative that they tell themselves, which is fairly appealing for people who just, you know, who've been who've been steeped in right wing media for the longest time. Who Maybe go to these kind of like, you know, big ass Christian nationalist churches. Right. Who hear nothing but the same thing about how the left is taking over things and see the pictures on the evening news, which constantly broadcast, right, because of the history of racism and the kind of the new broadcast, you know, the bad black people, right, for example, they're coming, or the bad immigrants are coming for it, and, you know, repeat that. So, you know, they see these things around them, and they think they're under assault. And so, 
you know, the right is very good about projecting themselves as, as both the victims and as the heroes, right? As kind of fighting back for America. Well, you know, this pushback has been, been pretty good. I want to play you a little bit of uh, Malcolm Kenyatta um, was uh, this morning. Is He's outside the Grandparents for Truth. Uh, there's a press conference. And Grandparents for Truth is one of the kind of sponsoring organization for today's protest against Moms for Liberty, which are kind of under underway right now. And um, he gives this little, I'll give you a play a little clip of him um, kind of opening this up. It's about a 40 second clip. So here's Malcolm Kenyatta giving a different perspective on how we, uh, what's happening inside Moms for Liberty. Good morning. Good morning. I will tell you this. If your liberty requires my bondage, you ain't for liberty. If your freedom requires my subjugation, you ain't for freedom. I will tell you that there are a lot of issues in our schools. You talk to people about our schools, they think that there are a lot of things they want us to focus on with our schools. I have not had one constituent say, rep, what I need you to do is ban books. There you go, right? But that's I mean, that's essentially it, right? If your freedom requires my subjugation, you're not for freedom, right? If your truth requires my silence, you're not for truth, right? I mean, it, it's pretty simple. And that is at its core, and I think this is where the messaging lies, right? This is where when we're thinking about our affirmative arguments against these people, right? It can't be just like, you know, bad bombs for liberty. That, that is true. They are bad, right? But what's, what are we asserting here, right? The idea, what, what's, what's, the, what's the idea about freedom, right? The, what's the idea about democracy? What's the idea about liberty, right? And grappling with that question about what does, re, what does, does, what does democracy require and what does democracy need to exclude, Right, because let, let's look what 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 Malcolm Kenyatta says there, and this is I believe this to my core, right? Is that there are some tendencies that need to be excluded from the community of democracy, and are the ones that he's talking about, right? If for you to feel free requires the subjugation the brutalization of the violence against others, then that is a effed up notion of freedom, right? But more importantly, that is an anti-democratic position, right? That is a position against democracy, right? What any time, and that, that's, how, that's the test, right? That is the one test I, for, for me, Someone who teaches this stuff on democracy and the rhetoric of democracy and social movements and stuff like this, that's always a test. Is you know, I, I think liberals sometimes make the mistake of just posing the kind of like the alternative, right? If you are about limiting a books, then we're gonna then that we are gonna kind of let like the free well, books is a bad thing because I think books, freedom to read, I think is just free to read. But saying like, okay, here, here's a good example. If you say everybody should be included. 
right? If you know, they're saying we should exclude some certain people. You say no, everybody should be included. But then, what do you do with the Nazis, right? What do you do with the fascists? What do you do with those people? And how do you distinguish between their their position, their opinions, right, and the opinions about inclusion? There, it's not. They're not identical. One of the core, if not the core, principle of democracy is one of inclusion, of fairness, and justice. Right? And it's kind of and it's recognizing that it is a horizon, right? That there's always going to be new things that emerge in a society at any, any given time that are going to require us to rethink how we're doing stuff, Right? But the ultimate, that's the ultimately the test. Does this thing, whatever we're talking about, does this thing expand and deepen opportunities for kind of more voices and discussion, for more control of the people, by the people, right? Does that happen? Great. Are, if we make this decision... Right, that is for this group of people, right? Or that is for our country? Does it require that we kind of like demonize and exclude kind of another group systemically? Right? And we welcome people into the discussion, right? As long as the criteria for their participation doesn't require the silencing of others. And that's kind of what he's saying there. Hey, Perry. Uh, sorry about this. I, I wasn't kind of paying attention to chat right there. Uh, we got a listener from the UK. Uh, I think, And he says, uh, or Perry or she or he, sorry, uh, says, I think of how crazy politics here in the UK is. But then I look across the pond and think that maybe we're not that bad. F all the stupid right-wing game <laughs> games every uh, 100%. Perry, I can't even tell you uh, how insane it is here right now. And, uh, you know, sitting here in Pennsylvania, right? And again, you know, this is not the only place that is experiencing this stuff. But in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, right, where we're located, this is like an epicenter of this fight. You know, and my uh, I, one of my best friends uh, lives in uh, Northern Ireland, lives in Derry, right? And so kind of know a little bit about what's happening in the UK and that and how nuts it's been in the UK. And then I'm like, he and I to have a discussion about it. It's like, this is nuts. But, oh, yeah, check this out. This is what's happened in my school district. They're banning books. They got QAnon people on the board. They're kind of running end rounds, uh, kind of all sorts of democratic process, right? I mean, it's just, and the things that are coming out of people's mouths are just are, are, are just crazy. Things have gotten really out of control, right? And unlike the UK, right, in the US, we do not have strong labor unions. We do not have strong organizations and infrastructure. We do not have a kind of safety net that keeps people out of precarity. So everything has got this additional edge to it. 
I just think it was like, you know, 75th anniversary of, of the, uh, um, of the, uh, um, um, the NIH, right? Or not NIH. Oh, <laughs> uh, the health system, right? Um, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, 75th anniversary. And yes, there's all sorts of problems with kind of like, you know, some of the issues that are kind of facing, you know, kind of, uh, um, kind of the medical system in the UK. Right. Um, but people have medical care and it's broadly or widely popular. Right. I was just listening to a show yesterday, a program on this about the, uh, about that, you know, kind of, you know, some of the challenges right now, but, you know, ultimately it's incredibly popular. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Amy. Uh, Amy, who was, uh, down at the uh, Moms for Liberty uh, welcoming ceremonies last night. Uh, welcome, Amy. Um, but that's it's kind of where we're at. Uh, we are on a pause in the live stream with the uh, Moms for Liberty, so uh, nothing there. But that's you know stuff that's stuff that's going on. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what we do with this sometimes. But you know, look, um, <clears throat> there's nothing but the fight, right? I mean, there's nothing but the the fight, and uh, that's kind of that's where we're headed. Um, couple things that in addition to what's happening in the Moms for Liberty this week is we've got a uh, bunch of Supreme Court decisions that are that are come down. One about the affirmative action. Uh, we saw that ruling come down yesterday, which effectively ends affirmative action. Um, uh, in college uh, admissions. Um, I, I just want to give you an example. This is from the Washington Post. Um, and this was, uh, article came out this morning, and I think this is, this gives you a sense of kind of where we're headed, right? This is by uh, Hannah Nadison, and it's an affirmative action ruling has already upended college applications. All right, I'll read a little bit of so you get a sense of the story. Teenagers of all backgrounds are reconsidering their shot at getting into competitive colleges. Admissions counselors are rethinking how students should discuss their race in application essays. The Supreme Court's ruling Thursday that colleges cannot consider race in admissions has left applicants in turmoil, they say. Rachel Stagner, who teaches at the private Templeton Academy in Washington, D.C., said she feels sick when she considers how conversations about college with students will go this fall. Her school is... A uh, small and, my, and majority non-white, she said. She knows many students well and often talks to them about their college choices, helping them prepare for the admissions process. Now, though, she will have no idea what to say, especially to students of color. Quote, if you haven't had test prep or lots of extracurriculars, I don't know if they're going to have a shot anymore. And that's really sad, Stagner said. And I'm just really concerned about what it's going to do to their thinking about if and how they can get into school. A black high school student in D.C. who spoke on the condition of anonymity because he fears personal and professional consequences, including possibly from college admissions officers, said the Supreme Court decision limits the universe of schools he considers realistic. Quote, this might change the whole path of my future, unquote, the 15-year-old wrote to the Post. Why can't they just let people like me be successful and make themselves and their families proud? Right, and this kind of goes on. And I think... Those are the kind of implications that we're going to see, you know, and I was, for me, when I was thinking about you know, listening to, you know, the, the ruling and listening to how it came out or reading about it, 
I, I remembered a couple things, right? You know, just, just thinking about the place that I teach. I teach at Kutztown University, right? And here in Pennsylvania. And when I um, started <clears throat> at Kutztown back in 2002, <clears throat> Kutztown University was one of the least diverse uh, universities in the state system of higher education, <clears throat> right? And there's a, there was a, there's a big problem with, with that for a bunch of reasons, right? One, there's just the, the, the general reason about the lack of diversity, why that's a problem, like, everywhere, <laughs> right? Um, <clears throat> so there's just that. But the state system of higher education, right, was designed to basically be the school for the working class, right? It was to make sure that there, uh, there was a high-quality, affordable education that was going to be available for first-generation students and working-class students, Right? And, you know, people without a shot, like poor students, poor working class, you know, put the, you know, everyone who's traditionally kind of outside of the, uh, would normally not be able to have access to college. So that was the whole purpose. Yes, it was a, started out as teaching colleges, but the university system, that's what it was set up to do. Right. And so, and because there, there used to be 14 schools, now that's consolidated down to 10, there, there used to be 14 uh, universities in the state system of higher education. And they're located in kind of different areas and regions across there. Part of what the missions of the different universities would said, and this was true at Kutsan University, is that there should be some sort of reflection, right, or some sort of connection between the student population and the surrounding demographics, right? Like the idea is that it was for access for the people who were in those particular areas because you know, like this bears itself out in facts. It's like, look, working class students, right, poor students, right, who don't normally have like the, you know, kind of, you know, generations of people in their family instruct them how to do stuff, they tend to go to college. If they go to college, they tend to go to college closer to home, right? And so you basically, that was kind of one of the measures. You want to make sure that it's measuring it. Well, there's been really significant demographic shifts, right, since, the, you know, the 1980s when the universities just just began or even kind of before then. If you look at Allentown, look at the, the, the Lehigh Valley area, right, which, you know, Kutztown sits right next. If you look at Reading, right, um, which is a city that's in Berks County where, where Kutztown is located, right, and you're kind of like an hour away from Philadelphia, right, you look at it, and, you know, frankly, right, these major centers, major places where, you know, um, where student populations would potentially come from, right, are increasingly not white, <laughs> right, much more diverse than when, you know, the, the, you know, the schools were first founded as teachers' colleges way back in the day, Right. And so for Kutztown University, right, to be like have such a tiny percentage of of students of color, right, in an increasingly diverse environment was a deep problem. Right. And, and Kutztown was known for this. Right. It was known as being like the white school <laughs> right in the area. And. So when I started in 2002, there was a new president who also started at that time. His name was Javier Ceballos, who, who was, you know, if you've heard me talk about him on the show before, you know that it was someone that I just, I despised, right, um, as the president in terms of what he did for a bunch of other reasons. But the one thing that I will always, always acknowledge and credit him for, him and his administration for, is they targeted and they said, we are going to make this a more diverse university. And they did, right? They actually sent recruiters, 
right, to where those students were, right? And, and wasn't just like a one and done, but actually committed resources and time and build relationships over time to ensure that Kutztown University was going to be considered an option, right, for students of color, and was they were going to feel comfortable and welcomed there. And initially, there were programs at the university that, they, that were designed to make sure that this was going to be a welcoming place, right? And, you know, look, the proof's in the pudding. It, you know, it worked. If you want to say one of, my, one of the things that I think is a deep problem, one of the reasons I despise them, right, is because as they did that, as they recruited more and more students of color, right, from kind of, kind of especially from, say, Reading and from Philadelphia, right, and Allentown and, and Bethlehem, as, as more they did that, then they, all those programs that I just talked about that were initially set up to ensure that the resources were available, right, that was going to make that transition to college, especially first generation, make, make sure that, that that was going to be a positive thing, they cut all those resources, right? And for me, it's like, how could you sell, how could you sell these students out? How could you then welcome all these folks in here, welcome all these students here who know that they have faced, right, the biggest challenges yet? We know the systemic racism. We know the challenges just of being a first-generation student, right? But then to have the systemic racism laid on top of that. And then you pull all the resources away from those students. What we begin, I was, you know, in our union leadership at the time, and basically said, we were saying to them, this is... You are, you are setting these students up for failure. What are you doing? Like, we're like, we're all supportive of what you're doing in terms of like increasing the diversity. Thank God you're doing this. But now you're taking away the, the, the infrastructure designed specifically to ensure those students uh, are welcomed here and supported. And they're like, well, the budget, the budget. It turns out they lied about the budget the entire time. They had lots of cash, and they told us that they were poor. I mean, that, that's for another, another time. But that was, that was a huge deal, right? And so, and, you know, sure enough, over time, we said, you know, what, what's going to happen? Those students are going to increasingly drop out. And not only are they not going to have a college degree, but now you've burdened them with debt. What kind of consequences do you think that's going to have? It's a huge problem. But anyways, I digress. But that, so that was, you know, that was trajectory. So, you know, so Kutztown University, they made that effort, right? And they, they said, you know, basically said, look, we are going to model our student body on the surrounding demographics. And if we are not reflecting those surrounding demographics, then instead of it being like, well, we don't know why, no, then it's on us, right? We're not doing something right. So we're going to go out and do this. But if now in the face of this case, if you say you can no longer consider race in the admissions process, this is a problem. Now, what's unclear to me, right? So, Recruiting is different than the admissions process, right? So recruiting is essentially recruiting students to encourage and to encourage them to apply, right? There's a bunch of caveats I could say about that that <clears throat> I will leave for another time. But you encourage them to apply, and the admissions process is a separate thing, right? 
So theoretically, theoretically, you could still have a university commit resources to recruiting in kind of, uh, you know, working class communities of color. Despite the Supreme Court ruling. However, what it does, it takes away one of the most important tools of the university, right? Which is to say, well, listen, because we are trying to meet these goals, right, of, of kind of diversifying our student body to reflect what's going around, we need to be able to consider the race, racial background, ethnic background of students. The Supreme Court decision basically says, nope, you can't do that. So what happens then? Now they did say, right? They did say in the in the the opinion that life experience could still be considered. Right? So theoretically, students could be coached to write their essay in such a way that it says that because of these kind of the, the history and systemic racism and things like this, these are the challenges that I faced that I overcame. Right? They could write that in their essay. Right? But what admissions committees would have to do then is basically make it clear that they are not choosing that student, they're not welcoming that student into the university because of their race, but it's because of their story and their narrative, their overcoming of something. And that's just freaking messed up. Right, because you think about what that ultimately does. What the reason why, if you if you read the opinion, I haven't read the entire thing. I've read a chunk of it. If you read the opinion, what the opinion is designed to do is to undermine any discussion of systemic racism. You can't, and this has been a problem. I talked about this on the show last week. Any attempt to deal with systemic issues this 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 country is so effed up about and this is a perfect example so let's take it one step further let's game this out a little bit shall we okay so you basically you're still going to recruit um, but you can't consider it there and then you're noticing that um you're noticing that you're uh you you're not increasing your diversity numbers Right, maybe because you, but you're not sure why. But you can't consider race and admissions, so you don't know, right? So you're supposed to be colorblind as you're kind of making the admissions, and maybe you're kind of not meeting these things. And then at some point, there's going to be university presidents who are thinking like, well, why are we putting all these resources into recruiting if those students aren't getting admitted? If we can't target the people we want to admit to the university to diversify the student body. Why are we spending these monies on recruitment in these areas? I know there's university presidents who would, who would actually have that exact situation. And that's important at a school like mine, right? A university like mine, which is designed to be a university for working class students. There's already been increasing pressure, right, to kind of up the SAT scores, to up the standards of admissions, to up all this stuff. And again, if you know anything about the history of, 
of education, especially higher education, is like when you start talking about standards, you might as well just substitute that as whiteness, okay, or white supremacy or the history of systemic racism, right? Because those standards have always favored white communities and upper-class communities, right? And if you can't consider systemic causes, you can never see that. But so that, that, that's going to basically restart the kind of, or the return to whiteness, right, into the communities, right? You know, again, there's no guarantees in this. We, you know, maybe I'll, you'll prove me entirely wrong. We'll see. But that's in my community. Now let's think about the, let's, let's think about the uh, uh, Ivy League schools, for example, right? Got a whole different problem there, right? And there you're basically saying like, okay, anything that's kind of connected to race, right? And again, you can't think about it systemically. So then everything has to be an individual narrative or story, right? Then we're going to see, okay, who gets admitted? Well, we can't consider race anymore. So we can no longer say that we definitely want to kind of um, make sure that we have a diverse student body, right? So we're just going to listen to their stories and look at their, what's, what's on their, on their record. Right. And those things that are the most polished and the most easy to kind of bring into admissions are, you know, we're going to watch the numbers fall of African-Americans, of, 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 of Latino students, of kind of Asian students, you know. And despite the fact, by the way, I should say despite the fact that there's a narrative that's going on in the media right now that's basically saying, see, the Asians, the Asians are against affirmative action, Right? The Asians, see, that proves that this is racist. Oh, really? Here's a little piece by, uh, by Lee Zhu, right, uh, in Vox, right? Say, many Asian Americans support affirmative action. The recent Supreme Court cases obscure that. All right? So let me read a little bit of this, just so we're kind of clear here. Uh, the Supreme Court effectively ended affirmative action, uh, this is, you know, on June 29th, uh, affirmative action in, in a 6-3 decision that drastically limits public and private universities from using race-conscious admissions policies. The case's plaintiff, a group called Students for a Fair Admissions, argued that such provisions discriminate against Asian-American students. Right? Again, already seeing the body of students. Effectively, um, SFFA, that's Students for a Fair Admissions, SFFA suggested that institutions targeted in these suits, Harvard and the University of North Carolina, used race-conscious policies that hurt Asian Americans' chances of being accepted while unfairly boosting opportunities for Black and Latino students, again, pitting groups against one another. The court seems swayed by this notion, finding that affirmative action leads to discrimination, right? The winners of this are not going to be Asian students, by the way. They're going to be white students, Right. There's another article that Vox put out was an excellent one. Basically, say the the number one group that has uh, that benefits from affirmative action is actually white women. So that's going to be interesting to see what the impacts of that's going to be. But here here's the point I wanted to get to. SFFA's lawsuit advanced the claim that Asian Americans should be against affirmative action and suggested that the group broadly is, but that is not the case. According to a 2020 Asian American voter survey, 70 percent of Asian Americans support affirmative action. 
And a 2023 Pew survey, 53% of Asian Americans who had heard of affirmative action said they believe it's a good thing. Notably, as these polls indicate, there is a segment of Asian Americans who oppose um, affirmative action and many who are wary of the considerations of race testing in college admissions. But such stances don't capture the full position of members of the community. 100%. Like how many times have we seen these kind of right wing kind of agendas, right? Um, basically being supported by saying, look, here's a group. Oh, we say race, so we're going to choose like uh, a, a certain kind of kind of examples of members of this group and we're going to let them stand and speak for the entire group to prove that we need to get rid of any kind of, uh, you know, consideration of systemic racism. Right. I mean, what that just shows like 70%, 70% support worst case scenario, 53%. Like, cause look at the very least, you got to walk away from that saying like, Look, there is no consensus in the so-called Asian American community on, on affirmative action. That is as effed up as kind of saying like all black people believe or all Latino people believe, all Mexicans believe. It's just ridiculous. It is it is the the, the degradation of education in this country that 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 kind of analysis, that idea that you just basically say all people think this, whatever group you're talking about, is just insane yet compelling in this culture, especially when you could use it as a way of fan the flames of grievance, right? Especially white grievance. So anyways, so, you know, so I look at that, what's going on. And so, you know, I, what I keep on thinking about at the, the Ivy, the Ivy level, right? Or the kind of private, the kind of like, you know, the, the elite universities is basically what we're, that's going to lead is to an increasingly align, increasing alliance of ruling class and whiteness. Yes, it, it already exists, <laughs> right? Let's be clear. But think about what how this works, right? If if you can't deal with systemic racism and look for systemic ways of system like systemic ways of addressing it, right? To ensure a more equitable uh, equitable society, right? This is the democracy principle again, right? If you can't deal with systemic issues, then the dominant reproduces itself, right? Because the systemic is designed to keep a particular group of people in power. Whether or not they personally, individually believe one thing or another, I, as a white guy, benefit, no matter how hard I will, I could fight against racism. I am still benefiting from the historic legacy of white supremacy in this country. It's just a fact. It doesn't make me cower and kind of like, I myself feel shame, horror, horrors and horrors of myself and make me like, just feel bad about myself. It's a fact. And I have to grapple just as every white person should have to grapple with their place within that. You are not just free actors in some sort of free floating world. Nobody is, but we're all positioned differently in that. It's a fact. The fact that I'm a guy, I position differently than a woman in that. That's a fact. That's a whole idea about what intersectionality is supposed to kind of allow us to be able to think about. To be, that is like the best way to be in this together, right? 
is that we're doing the analysis together and then thinking about ourselves within that so that we can make it better. I mean, come on. But what, the, you know, again, the attacking of the systemic solutions to racism, affirmative action being just one of them, but it is the one that is has the most support, right? I mean, higher education has the most support. You know, it's been a, a long-standing narrative that education is a solution to everything. And again, there's all sorts of problems with that narrative. But nonetheless, that is what, that's your shot, right? We hear it all then. That's your shot, education. And you have another door that, well, maybe it's not completely closed to you, but, you know, you got to push a little bit harder to get in now. And the unconscious racism of our society is now going to be allowed to operate more freely. Right? We've heard the studies over and over and over again about when somebody's name sounds black, for example, or Asian, for example, right? All these kind of unconscious, or maybe not so unconscious, but all these unconscious assumptions about black people, Asian people, women, whatever it might be, come into play in decision-making. And if we can't talk about that, it allows those unconscious ideas, stereotypes, to play themselves out. And the long-term consequence of that is that as we find out that now allowing kind of a racist culture to work its way, it's gonna further kind of divide this. And as we pit one racial group against another, it's gonna further divide. And what will happen is white, people will benefit. It'll happen slowly, but then that will be used as confirmation by the overt racist to prove that white people are just better at it. Right? I mean, think about it. If I've, if I've taken, if I continue to take away those programs, those policies which are designed to undermine the history of racism in this country. If I take them away, the ones that have been proven to be effective of having some impact, then the racism can assert itself. And then after a few years, when you find out that, oh, mysteriously, more white people are getting into college, more white people are becoming CEOs, more white people are here, then those people who overtly benefit from the racism will then use that to kind of stoke that narrative over and over again. See, we told you that affirmative action discriminated against white people. Why? What's the proof? Well, look now. Affirmative action is taken away. And guess, look, there's more white people in there because, and the, that whether it's spoken or unspoken, they will say because they were more deserving. And that is like at the core, right? That is at the core of what our politics in this country are all about. Who deserves things? Who is worthy of existence? 
who is worthy of acknowledgement, of being able to be seen in the world. That is so much at the core of what American politics is about. And every chance we get, you know, this is where, again, I go back to the stuff on intersexuality, looking at, again, the history of critical race theory, what it did in the kind of in the in the in the uh, the legal professions, the history of, kind of DEI initiatives and all this stuff, right, was allowing us to see that so that we could have a different approach to things, that we could expand democracy as opposed to close it off. American democracy was not designed for everybody, right? Those founding fathers designed it for white men. But it was also designed in such a way that it has allowed people, everyday people, to change it, to broaden the inclusion, to broaden who counts, to broaden who's acknowledged, to broaden who's deserving of being able to engage in self-rule. Right? But that's a tenuous thing as we've, we've been learning the hard way over the past decades. As we watch democracy being rolled back in our communities. Being rolled back by people like Moms for Liberty. Who's meeting in Philadelphia in just such a slap in the face. But that's what's at stake. And, uh, you know, I, I sorry, I had not planned on going off on this... Uh, in this direction <laughs> for a little bit more of a traditional Friday show here. But uh, I, I guess that's really what's going on. I mean, I think all these other things that I had tagged and things over today is really kind of comes down to those questions, right? I mean, this is the, the fight before us, right? Let me just go check and see if we see, we've seen a, a drop yet on. Oh, here we go. Supreme court breaking. Thirty-six minutes ago, Supreme Court conservatives rule against Colorado law protecting LGBTQ plus, plus rights. In its first decision of the day, the Supreme Court six conservative ruled against the Colorado law meant to ban discrimination by businesses against members of the LGBTQ community. This just came down. Supreme Court conservatives strike down Biden's student debt relief program. In their second opinion, the Supreme Court's conservatives struck down Joe Biden's program to relieve some federal student loan debt. The three liberal justices dissented. Well, there we have it. I'm glad I refreshed my page. You know, I can be equally... Uh, wow. It's just what I was talking about, right? Do laws protect democracy? Do laws, does our culture, does our, do our laws side on, side with democracy? Or does it side with, say, Christian nationalism?
does my freedom depend upon your exclusion? Well, Supreme Court just said that web designer who didn't want to um, do gay wedding websites signed with said, you know what? Your freedom requires someone else's exclusion. And we are going to put the stamp of the Supreme Court behind that. It's the Washington Post rewriting about this. The Supreme Court's conservative majority ruled in favor of an evangelical Christian graphic artist from Colorado who does not want to create wedding websites for same-sex couples, despite the state's protective anti-discrimination law. The vote split along ideological lines, six to three, with the liberals in dissent. Liberals, in quotation marks. It was the court's latest examination of the clash between laws requiring equal treatment for the LGBTQ community and those who say their religious beliefs lead them to regard same-sex marriage as, quote, false. Justice Neil Gorsuch, writing for the majority, said the First Amendment protects designer Lori Smith from creating speech she does not believe in. Quote, the First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich, complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands, Gorsuch wrote. Um, joined uh, joined by Chief Justice John Roberts Jr. and Clarence Thomas, Samuel Lito, Brett Kavanaugh, and Nicole Barrett. Colorado seeks to deny that promise, is what they wrote. Justice Sotomayor, Sonia Sotomayor, authored the dissent, joined by fellow liberal um, justices Elena Kagan and Kentaji Brown-Jackson. Quote, today the court, for the first time in its history, grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class, she wrote. Today is a sad day in American constitutional law and the lives of LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ people. Yep. Wow. It's been a, this has been that, that kind of week, right? It has been that kind of Well, I guess that's what I'm going to be digging into. Let's see. I see some comments coming in here. Uh, hey, Emily, how you doing? Uh, UNC was your alma mater. Wow. Yeah, it's a decision is connected with the Moms for Liberty Project 100%. Yes, I agree, Emily. And there should be a challenge to the uh, anti-socialism congressional declaration. Yeah. You know, and look, it's Moms for Liberty is in Philadelphia now spreading their hate. And you've had Ron DeSantis uh, take the lead this morning, and now you're going to have uh, Trump is going to be there speaking this afternoon, and it's just going to ramp up. And that's going to have uh, impacts and all this. So what we can say is that what we see in the Supreme Court is the same thing we see in the Moms for Liberty is the same things we see in Hillsdale College, is the same thing we see in Vermilion Education, is the same thing that we see among the three percenters, is the same thing that we see, list your right-wing organization here. And, um, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day about this, and it's like, you know, the hard part of what the right has has gotten very, very good at is doing things in tandem, right? Um, and because they've built a culture over decades funded by these right-wing billionaires 
who invest in infrastructure, who invest in a narrative, who invest in the long game, not just winning this up next election. Yes, that's always the case. But building the institutions that are going to take back. Right? And, I, I, and I do think that's the period we're in, right? What do we need to build over the next 10, 15, 20 years to right the ship of democracy? What kind of, what do we need in education, right? What do we need in our community? What do we need in our media? And then how do we build that in a conscious way? You know, most of us, you know, I mean, myself included, right? You know, Raging Chicken got its birth in response to the Tea Party victories in the 2010 midterm elections. And then looking at what happened in Wisconsin, where they stripped away union rights and were trying to break up the public schools, public university systems, strip away the rights of home care workers, I mean, right across the board, and seeing that march across the country. Raging Chicken was formed in reaction to that. I would love to say that, oh, yeah, I've been working for 10 years before then building it up. But no. You know, Rick Smith, you know, Rick Smith is, uh, you know, I always plug his show, ricksmithshow.com. You know, Rick Smith is, uh, he's, He's dedicated, you know, pretty much his life, right? I mean, pretty much his years of trying to build labor radio, right? And he has. Look, I mean, look at it now. I mean, finally. But it's still tenuous, right? I mean, all this stuff is always tenuous, right? Because we don't have the billionaire backers who, that, that, that think. Look, the, the, the left, quote, unquote, the left, progressives and all this stuff, there's lots of money out there among progressives. They're not the activists who have the money, but there are progressives, there's a left, who, there are people out there who have a lot of money. They just don't put it in investing for the long term. Or if they do, they have to kind of like stick their fingers in kind of, because they're the smartest people in the room, so they know better than everybody else, instead of just investing and allow this stuff to, to, to percolate like the right wing does. But anyways, I digress. <clears throat> Rick Smith has been a perfect, perfect example of somebody who's worked to build from the ground up a labor radio program that's worthy of the name. But he's the exception. And I could tell you, look, you know, over the years with Rick, he's like, I know Rick makes that happen. And again, he's got a, a national profile now, right? Free speech TV. He's kind of he's picked up by radio stations across the country, right? He's got you know his 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 streaming numbers, his his like podcasts. I mean, it just has exploded and continued to grow, and continues to grow every single time. But guess what? Rick is making that happen by the force of practically the force of will alone, right? And you would think, right, just as an example, 
you would think that if you have a labor labor show, labor radio show, it's built by somebody who is focused on labor, who's committed to like like seriously with blood, sweat, and tears down to the core of his being to being a defender of the working class. You would think that labor unions and labor associations across the country would be like stepping over each other to make sure that that thrives. It's not what happens though. It's not what the opposite often happens. And this is not just, I, you know, again, I'm just using Rick as an example here, but this is true across the board. But, you know, Supreme Court, those Supreme Court decisions, that, that's that, the, the, you know, that's going to last 20, 30 years. And you have the Federal Society who is systemically built an infrastructure in order to make this day happen. I don't know. We've got our work cut out for us, I guess. Well, listen, I'm gonna, I, 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 yeah, I'm gonna cut it off here. <laughs> so I don't want to go any further. But listen, so uh, you know, I, I do want to wish everybody a uh, a good Fourth of July uh, holiday coming up. Um, I guess it's a good time, you know, in the wake of this Moms for Liberty conference in Philadelphia. It's a good time to be reflecting and thinking about where we go from here. Uh, got school board elections coming up in the fall, which we all got to get out there for. We're going to see uh, lots of activity there, certainly. And then we got the 2024 election coming up after that. But then we also need to be thinking about what institutions are we going to build and why. How do we make value in our communities? But I'm asking myself that question, too, as well. It's not 100% apparent. Thinking about what the hell am I doing So, um, yeah, wish you a good 4th of July uh, holiday. Um, just uh, show like show notes, basically, or <clears throat> housekeeping notes, as it were. Uh, we will not have a show on Monday or next Friday. I'm going to be away. And, uh, yeah, plans that we made before we even knew Moms for Liberty was going to be here this weekend. So, whatever, what can you do? That's the way it is. Um, but I wish you all a good holiday. Um, for those of you who are down there fighting uh, um, the streets of Philadelphia with Moms for Liberty, showing up the voices, thank you. Um, and uh, your work is recognized by everyone here. So thank you all. And thank looks. And you know, let me say again, thank you to all our supporters. Thank you folks for tuning up for the show, tune in for the show live. Thank you for those who are on Twitter, who basically uh, always are tweeting out our stuff, uh, making sure other people can find the show, uh, letting other people know the show's coming up. Thank you to our uh, our patrons, um, who without you, uh, the show would just not exist. Um, it's the only thing that keeps us going. Um, it's the only thing that is, I, I think, is is viable in terms of what we should be doing as uh, you know, building kind of institutions. Is not reliant upon you know advertising or things like this to keep us going, but actually be rooted in the community. Um, for those folks who've been with us for the very beginning, right, who, who are still to this day contributing to this, who became members before we were on Patreon, before Patreon existed, for that matter, who've been supporting the work that we do here, allows us to do things. And look, you know, 
the fact that we're, we're working with uh, Bucks County Beacon right now, I'm kind of producing their, their podcast too as well. That's positive. Right? It's a positive deal. So thank you for everything that you all have done, your contributions, your support, um, sharing the show, uh, tuning in, emailing me, messaging me, letting me know kind of what you're thinking of, ideas coming up, sending me leads, all that stuff is great. So thank you. I'm thinking about all of you as we head into this uh, July 4th holiday. Um, hope you have a good one. And uh, I'll let you know, you know, hopefully we, we're waiting to hear back from some potential guests um, for, um, what, what, I guess it would be the 9th or the 10th of July. Let me just check the calendar. So it'll be the, yeah, the 10th, I guess, is when we'll be back uh, for Out to Coop Live. Got some potential guests waiting to hear back from, so I'll let you know as soon as I know. So, um, but for now, um, here's to the fight, everybody. And uh, happy 4th of July. Um, here we go. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Radio Chicken. There are no people in the future. You can help us support us by heading over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Become a patron. It was five bucks a month. There are no people Have a good one. Future. Let me try my people. See ya!